Hey guys, Spacey here, and welcome to Coralinda's podcast, Filmmaking, Actually. Today's episode is another in our ongoing series of Patreon-exclusive video panels made available in audio form uh, right here on the podcast for free. So this podcast will always be readily available and free. You don't have to pay for it. And um, which reminds me, we also have a Facebook group uh, for Filmmaking Actually. You can go over to Facebook.com and type in Filmmaking Actually, and you can join that group for free. There's a lot of fun, cool stuff there. But Patreon is just another way for us to expand the community and create even more opportunities for uh, directly learning more about filmmaking from people in the industry. You can ask questions to industry experts, professionals, uh, like in our upcoming uh, actors panel, featuring folks who have experience in primetime television, in the theater, they've been screened at Tribeca, even a few Oscar-nominated films under their belts. Well, maybe not under their actual belts, but you get the idea. But beyond that, Cora and all the guests that she speaks to, they, they have a common goal in mind, and that is they want you to follow your dreams, making movies, sure, but even beyond that, just to be successful at taking what you're passionate about and turning it into uh, action. So if you want to learn more about the Patreon, where that's the whole goal, really, uh, for as little as $1.99 a month, you can join at patreon.com slash space dream films. So uh, for this episode, though, it's a little more personal. It's part one of a two-part series where Cora and yours truly, me, Spacey, participated in an Ask Us Anything discussion. Hopefully, you'll have as much fun listening as we did discussing, but uh, who knows? You might even learn something. So, enjoy. I'm Cora Linda. I'm the president of Space Dream Productions, and this is my husband and partner and filmmaker, musician extraordinaire, Mr. Spaceship. Hello. Yay! I am not Cora Linda. And the one with the beard that helps you to distinguish. But I do have super long hair, and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> We're happy to have you. So um, I'm just going to start diving into the questions. You ready, honey? Uh, ready as Linda Ellerby. <laughs> awesome. All right. The first question is, this came in from Monica, and it is, can one become a film actor at any age? Yes. <laughs> um, no, the great example great I would... What? I said great discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, the example I would give is um, Samuel L. Jackson. He was in his first movie in his 40s, I believe. Um, he was nominated for an Oscar at the age of 45. Uh, you know, so I think it's interesting when we say... You're, it's when is the best time? Probably right now is the best time. So if somebody has a consideration on that, um, don't let it stand in your way if you want to be an actor. And then I guess there's plenty of there's lots of examples of, you know, people starting out as babies. Maybe acting was just sort of thrust upon them, and then they had to decide whether or not to be an actor from then, you know, henceforth. Judy Garland, for instance, um, Jake Gyllenhaal. He was, in, he was in City Slickers. I was, he was a baby in that movie. Oh, my goodness. Well, we had, um, even on a more personal note, we had um, Eileen in Gone Gray. Hadn't she just started acting? I think so. And she's, um, you know, up 
I think she's in her 60s or 70s, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Okay. Then there. Yeah. But um, you wouldn't know that she didn't have experience in film acting because she's amazing. So, but but I think she has a history of uh, theater, like for years and years, and has been a theater actress. And I think it's interesting to make the transition. And I think she was very successful. She should should keep going. Definitely should. But yeah, I think that um, acting is kind of like anything. Uh, Just do it. If it's what you want to do, go for it. doesn't matter. Um, although if you are under 18, you should consult with your parents or guardian. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something to keep in mind, you know. <laughs> um, awesome. And then I will... Yes, that's something to keep in mind. Sorry, I felt like I just cut you off there. No, you're fine. Um, I'm going to take the next question here. Okay. Um, ooh, which one do I want to take? Um, I'll take this one because I feel like it's just kind of fun. This is from Stephanie. Okay. If you could choose any movie to be in, what would it be? And I feel like, I don't know if she means like the world. Like, I don't know, as an actress, it might be fun to be in a movie like The Hunger Games. But I don't know that I would want to live in a world like The Hunger Games. That's fair. That's valid. Right? Like, I would like to act in a movie like Divergent. I don't know if I would survive in a world <laughs> like I'm this. noticing a, 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 a pattern here of dystopian young adult novels. <laughs> I've um, had a few of those. <laughs> uh, if I had to answer, I would like to be in the movie Yellow Submarine because it just looks so cool and it's got great music and it's a cartoon. So it's so unlike the world that we live in. And yet it's, you know, I mean, I guess it just depends on how you look at the world we live in. Is it, does it seem unreal to you? Well, there you go. <laughs> so maybe it just depends on the impulse. Like, do I want to get away from the everyday or do I want to look at the happier, more fun, vibrant side of things? The Yellow Submarine is a good example, I think, of that. It's just a total fantasy world. And yet it's got, you know, uh, it's, it's not too fantastic because it's got Beatles music. How can, I mean, it's like, it's grounded in, in something real to me. I feel like I feel like you would do well in that world. Um, I, you know, I, I'd do okay, I think. I'd probably be intimidated. I'd be like, look, there's Ringo. I mean, he's in two dimensions. That's amazing. I'm going to just segue into a random question. Is it true? This is nothing to do with filmmaking. I just thought of it, and I want to ask you right now in front of people. Um, is it true that George Harrison's son got like bullied on the way home from school? They were singing Yellow Submarine at him, and he was like, he got home and he was like, Dad, why didn't you tell me you were in the Beatles? Like, is that a true story or is that? A- I think it's true. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Should have told you about that. Oh, um, that's awesome. Well, speaking of two-dimensional cartoons, um, one of the questions that we have is from. I want to make sure I pronounce her name right. She's an incredible supporter um, on our email list and has supported several of our projects, La Benita. Um, And she said, have we ever made a traditional animated short film that's a two-dimensional animation? And the answer is yes, we've made several. Yes. Well, I can think of one that's a blend of the two. It's live action and parts, and then it turns into a 2D animated film. And that is Bringer of War. It's on our website. You can watch it right now. Uh, 
Yeah. And that was my first time directing animation, and that was a challenge. We had a cupcake that came to life and chased after this poor woman who was on a diet and not trying to eat it, and she got saved by an army of baby carrots, and they all come to life and it becomes animated. And that was, it wasn't um, a traditional traditional, meaning every frame wasn't hand-drawn. It was done using um, basically virtual puppet animation. So like the pieces move almost as if they're puppets, but it's digital, so it's an animation. Um, and then you did one also, didn't you? Oh yeah, I forgot. Um, yeah, I did a hand-drawn animated one. It was about a mother and her son, and they talk about what it means to be a mom and where moms come from, I guess. Yeah, it's about a minute and a half long, and it's called Chrissy and Cohen. And it's also on our website. You can go right now. To <laughs> space Dream. If you don't want them to go right now, you want them to stay here. Oh, later. Yeah, <laughs> it's called Chrissy and Cohen. And that was actually a documentary, right? That you took the documentary? Correct, yeah. It, the style is in that of Nick Park's Creature Comforts, where you take real audio and elaborate visually with an animated take on it. So it makes it kind of fun. And yeah, it kind of straddles the line of documentary and um, comedy. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was a great, a great way to like, it was just a recording of a woman talking to her son, her young son, and asking, he was six, and asking him where, what, what makes a mother, like what is a mother? And it was a six-year-old little boy explaining what a mother was. And it, I thought it was horrible. Yeah, he's a British boy, so he's talking about mummies. <laughs> mummies. So it was even, even more adorable. That's right. Um, well, this, you know, that was something that you came up with and, you know, designed this sort of animated world. So I'm going to go to the next question here. This is from uh, Mr. Solomon. And, um, hey, Solomon. <laughs> and that question is oh, him. <laughs> how do you choose an idea for a movie are there any elements in a concept that you look for I know how I would answer this but I'll let you go first oh me oh I go first oh dear um, it's always 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 for me reaching into some part of myself when it comes to any idea whether it's my own or someone else's. Um, and so it's always kind of a painful process in that way that dealing with your own struggles or your own experiences with a given subject or an idea. And it always has to resonate with me personally. If it doesn't resonate with me, then I can't really hope to make it resonate with anybody else, which is the goal i think of making a movie is that you make it in order to share it with a wider audience and to get that feedback and that discussion going or even if not a discussion just reactions from people i mean genuine reactions the way that you react to a subject and maybe it's different but at heart i think there is sort of a common what is it called the the jungian collective unconscious or something where we're all kind of tapped into it's why various cultures, though separate, have similar stories that they connect to is because we all have and deal with struggles, pains, um, joys, um, all kinds of things that are common to us. And it's interesting where it can transcend 
culture and community, uh, however sanctioned or uh, separate we might seem to be, we're really we really have more in common. So it's interesting to discover that because you really don't know how much it means to someone else, something that touches you until you go through the process of making it, I guess, tapping into the idea. idea. And I was, I believe that good ideas never die and bad ideas rightfully do. Um, I, I definitely share that um, as far as like something that has to resonate with me. Um, I've noticed that in looking at a lot of our movies that we're either working on or that we've made, I kind of um, feel like that Jewel song, Pieces of You. Like, I may not be, like that character may not be the entirety of me, but I feel like there's pieces of me put in all, there are horcruxes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> nobody I mean, got We went there real quick. <laughs> um, but there's like a piece, a piece of my soul. No, um, a piece of who I am in a lot of the characters. Maybe I'm not everything about them or everything about them isn't everything about me, but there's some sort of connection. Um, the, uh, I have a, an interesting job in that I very rarely am the one who comes up with the idea for the story. I'm usually the person who goes, oh, that's a good idea, and then develop it. Um, or somebody comes to me and is like, oh, I have this idea, and they tell me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's an awesome idea. And then I'll work with someone or I'll work on it or whatever. Um, and I think for me, it's, I choose stories that I think will mean something to people that if they watch it or read it or see it, it's going to do something for them. They're, they're going, like you said, it's going to impact, but like either I know that I'm giving them some beautiful escapism and they're just going to enjoy it. But even, even our most like silly, whimsical, I mean, even the Christmas movies that we, we worked on or are working on, even those have like at least a little bit of a message and um, some sort of higher purpose. Um, most of our, films or stories involve helping people or people being helped in some way. Um, and I hope that people who are in a dark place can resonate with a piece of that and that it will help them, um, even if it's just to be seen and to feel like there's something connecting them. Are you eating snacks? <laughs> I am. This, this, this episode is brought to you by Golden Raisins. I will say, um, part of the question is, are there any elements in a concept that you look for? I feel like I look for things that are a little different that I haven't seen a million times. And I don't just mean like, I don't want the boy to get the girl in the end, or it has to be this gender, or it has to be this sexuality, or it has to be whatever. I more look at what about this is different. Like the Christmas story we're working on currently um, it is, you know, it's about a big country star who goes back to the ranch. The ranch is in, you know, financial shambles. She has to make a decision, pick her career or the ranch and how, you know, connect with her family, whatever, fall in love. Um, all of the sort of hallmark checkboxes are there. But a really big part of it is her making decisions about her own life and her really deciding, you know, where does she want her career to go? What does she want to do? What's important to her? And it's also about her and her brother. There is a little bit, you know, there is a love story, but it's also largely about her and her brother being estranged and them reconnecting. And I feel like we don't usually see that very often um, where there's like a sibling sort of connection where it's not just a romantic connection. Um, 
And, you know, it's got the big concert at the end and the bad guy gets wheeled away by the police. And I'm not really spoiling it. It's a Christmas movie. You know that they're going to save the ranch in time for Christmas. But um, does Santa get hauled off to jail? Is that what you're saying? No, that's a Oh, I I thought maybe that was (laughs) different, you know, at the end. Um, But no. For anyone. (laughs) But like even our other Christmas movie about like, um, you know, it has this like really fantastical element and it's really about what it means to be a man and not like, I'm going to be a man, but like having that sort of connection with another person and being a good person and using your strength and power to do good things and make the right choices, not just the best corporate decision for the boardroom. And I feel like those things are important. So um, the first thing that I usually look for is is this interesting to me? Like you said, am I interested in this? And then, um, is it is it a story that I think I can tell? Like, um, there's a story, I'm gonna say a bad word. Um, there's a story written by one of our uh, Space Dream partners called The Fuck It List. <laughs> and it's an amazing screenplay. <laughs> it's an amazing screenplay, it really is. It's, it's a fantastic story. Um, he told me a little bit about it and I asked to read it. I know that I'm not the right person to direct it. I'm just not, it's not my energy. It's not my vibe. It's not my story, but it's an amazing story. So I wouldn't personally produce it or I wouldn't personally direct it. I would definitely produce it. Um, but we might bring in another director to direct it. Um, and I would probably just keep my finger on the pulse to make sure that it stayed a human story and didn't become some like either, grotesque a story about animals is that what you're saying no a story about people i don't know i'm going on and on about this because this is this to me when i saw this question i was like oh i could talk for hours about that but um it it's it's funny because we get pitched so often we get pitched so many times we actually have like a checklist for it and we have like protocol like when it comes in it goes to this person this person does abc they send it to this like it's it's very like it's almost like an assembly line of production at this point because of how many things come our way which is great but um i wish i could say like if you want to pitch do x or if you want a story made do y but i think it depends on who you're talking to um i've been to pitch events where i sit down and i say hi you know my name's cora blah blah blah, blah five seconds about me and i say we've got a couple of different feature films one of them's in post-production one of them's ready for production and a couple of them are in development which would you be interested in and I get a different answer every time. And then I say, okay, I've got this film, this film, and this film. Are any of those interesting to you? And they go, oh, tell me about this one. And the next person is like, oh, tell me about that one. And I'm like, okay. And I think that element of it resonating with the filmmaker is probably the most important part. Because even like when I was acting as an actress, I would only submit to roles that I felt like I could connect to. Um, and as a writer, when I'm writing stories, like I won't co-write a script if I can't connect with it, if there's nothing about me, if I can't put a piece of myself into it, or if I can't find a piece of myself to kind of, a piece of myself or a piece of my life, maybe it isn't me, but someone I know, um, I feel like it makes me a better storyteller when that humanity is is there. So, and then after that, we choose ideas totally bluntly that we can get funded. <laughs> Um, or that we can afford to do ourselves. Um, unfortunately, it, it's a it's a 
a multi multifaceted prism. Art and commerce. Art and commerce. It's a dual duality. The ultimate tug of war. Oh gosh, isn't it though? Um, and speaking of the finance side, I didn't even mean to make these flow together, but it does. Um, the next question came in from another uh, person on our email list named Todd. Um, and Todd. Hello, Todd. Hello, Todd. Um, How's it? <laughs> am I going to ask the question or not? I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, is it worth paying someone to do a professional budget in order to help in pitching your film script to producers? I don't know how much experience you have with this, Spacey. I can answer it or if you uh, want to add. It's worth it. I, um, I will say it's worth it if you don't know how to do it yourself. Yeah, that's why I say it's worth it. Because for you. Yeah. Um, the reason why you want a professional budget is because, and by professional, that doesn't mean you paid a lot of money for it or it's some random person who's got a bunch of IMDb credit. By professional, excuse me, I think that's... Don't worry, while she's hiccuping, we'd like to remind you to check <laughs> out our Patreon at patreon.com slash space dream films. That's one space, one film. No, one space, one dream, many films. With that, we, re we now return you to Cora. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so um, you want someone who actually knows what they're doing beyond just they can use movie maker magic or they understand how to push buttons. Because like we have a feature film um, that we absolutely love right now that is very few locations. It's a very small cast. There's about five people total in the movie. There's two lead characters, one and two lead supporting characters. Then there's like a random, like a doctor and an agent. And it takes place in a city, mostly in an apartment and a dance studio. And that's it. We could make this movie take $50 million to make easily without even trying to like inflate the budget with what I know about being an indie producer with what I know about keeping things kind of smaller scale, having a more, I don't want to call it fluid set as far as like, um, just how we go, how we approach things, how we film things, how we set up all the shots. We're looking at doing it more in the hundreds of thousands of dollars range. But the reason I know how to do that is because I've already produced a feature film and I know what it cost. I know what the effort involved was. <clears throat> and when we did that one the first time, we were like, oh, yeah, we can do it for this much money. That's great. And while we were there, we were like, oh, it would have been better if we planned this a little better. And then when we're sitting in post-production and you don't have any money for post-production and you're trying to figure out the time, like you have to know what corners you can actually cut and what corners you can't. Because whenever I see somebody come to me and they're like, oh, I've got a great feature film. It's like a $20,000 budget. I'm like, is it one person sitting in a room by themselves? Because either you're going wildly off and you're just not paying anybody, which is fine if you're like, oh, I'm going to give them experience. I'm going to give them this. Are you going to sell the film? Because if you're going to make a profit, that's not fair for people to give you stuff for free and then you make money off of them getting nothing. That's not cool. So um, if you're going to be pitching your film, it really helps to know how much is it going to cost and why? And if I ask somebody, well, why is that your budget? And they say, well, I was told that's a good budget to make a feature. A feature like Avengers Endgame or a feature like Top Gun Maverick or a feature like 
Little Miss Sunshine or a feature like Napoleon Dynamite, because those are all features. <laughs> and you have to know what you're doing and know what it takes to get there. And, you know, if you have seven people in your cast and you have one hair and makeup artist, I mean, that's just cruel. <laughs> like you're going to expect that. And then if all seven people are in one scene and they all have to have their hair and makeup done at the same time, even just from sweating, sitting there, the first person, by the time the seventh person is done, the first person needs a touch up. So it, you, you need to know things like that. Um, I can, I can dive, dive down that rabbit hole as well, but yeah, that was from Todd. And, um, this question, uh, it goes right into this one as well. Um, this is from Nafisa, Nafisa Ford on LinkedIn. Uh, she sent in this question and she said, is it better to create a production of one's own, produce, film, edit, and submit for festivals when you're older and getting into the industry? Well, what is a good route to start on? That was her question. Um, I don't know, honey, do you want to take this? I've been talking a lot. Well, you know, I'm 107, so I feel like I have some authority on this, you know. Um, no, I really, I can't speak to when one is older and getting into an industry. I feel like, again, it's speaking to the earlier question we had about, is it, are, is there how young or how old in terms of getting into acting? I think it's like anything. It's really a matter of putting your mind to it and getting the experience or people creating sort of like a buffer zone or a sort of a community around you, assembling people around you who can help you to achieve your goals uh, for all the things that you can't do personally. So if producing and filming and editing and submitting, if you, if you're, if you are older, if that's supposed to imply that it's somehow more difficult, then, you know, I don't know. It's everybody's different. I would say, I would say it's really just comes down to if you have the tools available and have access to a community of people who can help you to learn, no matter what age you are, I feel like it just comes down to um, deciding to do it and then doing it. And and then what is a good route to start on? I, I mean, I think Cork could probably speak to that. There are lots of routes. Uh, we may be young, in air quotes, but um, that's it's so strange for me to think of myself as old or young because I'm pushing 40. So I don't know. I mean, just... I, I really can't speak to it's just do you want to do it what's the best way to do it and if the answer is yes then it's just i think core probably has ideas on the best route i think i feel like i answered the first part pretty <laughs> succinctly right yeah no i think about that. i think there's definitely i know there's a lot of like young voices and youngness and young that and there's a lot of like glamorization of young people and the only thing I can say to that is it's my humble opinion that um, this glamorization of youth comes from the marketing industry, because if they can hook a child to their product, they've got them for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Whereas if they hook a 60 year old to their product, they're going to have to do that client acquisition again in however many years. So the glorification of youth comes from both the beauty industry that sells products to keep us young and the general marketing world that tries to get people hooked on a brand early. I do know that there's a lot of like support in the film industry for young people. Again, it's the foster a voice that can then be there for a long period of time. I know um, this is sort of a tangent, but re relevant. 
um, we're doing a lot of company structuring and I needed to work with an accountant and with lawyers and like all this stuff, <clears throat> excuse me. And my uncle, who's, who's a businessman, suggested that I look not for somebody like fresh out of college, but don't look for someone who's getting ready to retire either. Even though they have all the experience and wisdom that I need, I need somebody in the middle who recognizes that coming on board with me now is going to give them potentially decades of client. Like if they connect with me now, they're going to be with me for the next however many years as the company continues to grow and potentially get very rich off of us. Yeah. And we need to find a younger person who is looking for that growth. And I think unfortunately there's this idea in the film industry that people who are older maybe don't have the energy or don't have the commitment or, you know, once you've got kids and bills and a mortgage, you're not as willing to go spend, you know, six weeks on a film set in Tanzania, you know, on 15 hour days. But I think the people who feel that way haven't met <laughs> most of the people in the world because I know a ton of people who are over 40 or over 50 or over 60 who have, you know, gotten into filmmaking, who have become authors or writers or storytellers or who have, you know, taken up something that the only thing stopping them was the idea that maybe they shouldn't. So I will say, definitely don't worry about age. Um, that's just a, a social construct, for lack of a better word. Um, there are a couple of older, like filmmaker type things, you just have to look for them. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've seen them. Um, there's also a ton of things for women in film and they don't care about how old you are. They just want to support you as a woman. So if you're an older woman and not something that you're interested in, um, I will say that there is a glorification of the multi hyphenates, meaning the writer, actor, producer, director, actress, editor, sound designer, score, mixer, colorist, film festival extraordinaire. And aside from it just being cheaper, because when you can do it, I mean, when Spaceship and I did Gone Gray, we were the crew. Like, we hair, makeup, lighting, wardrobe, set, camera, sound, like, we did all of it. And it saved us a ton of money. We didn't have to hire anybody. But it meant that we had to do it all. And <laughs> that was a little stressful. But um, I think as far as the best route for getting into the industry, um, I will say I do have an episode, the first episode of of filmmaking actually that I think it's how do you make a movie actually and I break down every single facet of filmmaking because being a filmmaker isn't just going to festivals or just writing or just directing or just producing there's so many pieces and so many people have so many different parts of collaboration along that entire process um what I would suggest is listening to that episode just because it's like an hour long and I don't want to spend the entire we have a bunch more questions to go through um but listening to that episode and kind of figuring out for yourself what piece of the filmmaking pie do you want where do you want to live like where is your lane and um you know if festivals are your thing there's people who their whole career is helping people get into festivals they write cover letters they do press tours they once somebody's in a festival they set up pr events they get press they get critics to come to the screening like that's a whole part of festivals and if you love festivals you could just do that. If you love producing, you are a psychopath. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you love producing. No, I, I was, you should say, if you love producing, come work for Cora because she would love for you to work for her as a producer so that she can do directing and other things <laughs> that she'd rather be doing. 
Um, we do have our intern, Megan, who is amazing and on a track to be hired by us in the future, but she's in college, so we can't hire her right now. But um, yeah, no, I producing is, it's so much responsibility and it's so much work. And it's more than just having the power. You're not the genie being like, oh, I've got the power. What is it? Um, uh, uh, infinite cosmic power or whatever it is. Um, oh, powerful cosmic being. That's kind of what it's like being a genie. I mean, being a genie. Being, it's kind of what it's like being a producer. Um, both, both. Yeah, both, both. You have this. Three wishes. <laughs> Can't bring anybody back from the dead. Can't make anybody fall in love with you. I don't know. Producers get a lot of people thrown at them if they think they can get them in movies. It's it's a scary place to be because you don't know if someone's being your friend because they're being your friend or because they think you can do stuff for them. Yeah. And I've straight had people show up and all of a sudden they want to be my BFF. And then as soon as a film project doesn't go how they want it to go, I'm dead to them. And I'm like, I thought we were friends. <laughs> like, I thought you actually cared about me as a person. I didn't realize you were using me. Okay, thank you, I guess. No, I just figured you, it's better that you know now, Cora, that I just want you for your, for your movies, just just in case you were wondering. I'm just kidding. I'm, oh, I don't know. The sarcasm meter's broken here. I'm trying to sit here. Okay, there it is. Uh, no, I think also just to tie, maybe I can wrap this up a little bit. Yeah, sorry, um, sorry. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, I will say if people are older, right, and and they're looking at, at the best route to go in terms of creating a production of one's own, um, surround yourself with younger people. Be what is, what I would call, what I've read, This I read this in a book years ago by the author um, Llewellyn Jones, I believe her name is, uh, no, Grace Llewellyn, Grace Llewellyn. And she, she wrote about the glorious generalist. And the glorious generalist is someone who does not they don't distinguish in terms of who they make friends with in terms of age, but it transcends. And so it includes, it's inclusive of people of different backgrounds, religions, ages. So an older person who can befriend young people and work with young people or people in an industry, that's such a great skill to foster and develop. Uh, if you, if you have it already, then that gets you a long way in terms of, um, being being able to make your films and not being have, having to be wearing so many hats at once. It, yeah. Anything where you can grow a community around you uh, that you don't already have that that will come in so handy. So as far as a specific route, I can't tell you exactly except what Cora is saying. I think she's saying if you go to festivals and you go to film functions and you go to meet and greets or you know mixers where you can meet people. Yeah who are wanting to do things. And they may be a lot younger than you, but don't let that scare you. Let that be kind of exciting because that means that they have a viewpoint that may be different from yours, but also can be complimentary. And it's something that you can learn from each other. Some of my best friends are older and I learn things from them all the time. And sometimes they learn things from me. Um, as far as like, what's a good route to start on? I know I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but knowing where you wanna go What's that uh, lyric? That song, song lyric. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get will take you there. It's um, uh, George Harrison. There you go. It's also a quote, I think, from Lewis Carroll. But go continue. Well, yeah, um, it's a in great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the uh, if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter. So you have to know where, where. What do you want? Like, do you want to be a director? Do you want to be a producer? Do you want to be a writer, an actor? A, film financier, an editor, a set dresser, like 
production designer, what part of this film project is yours? And if you really want to do everything and you want to be a, you know, multi-hyphenate everything, the way to start is really just to do it. <clears throat> um, begin at the beginning, make a, make a thing, reach out to film schools, you know, look for, look for people who are um, getting started also and say, you know, hey, I'm doing this project if you'd like to give up. Oh, okay. Um, I'm doing this project if you'd like to do it for experience and don't ask professionals to do things for experience. Ask people who need experience to do things for experience and be a, the rising tide that lifts all ships. And you can go through, anybody can create a Film Freeway account. Um, it is uh, www.filmfreeway.com. I think it's free to sign up. And then you just pay the film festival submissions and look, you know, don't just submit to Sundance, but submit to local festivals near you. Look, look up festivals near you, find out when the dates are, go to their website, buy a ticket and show up and watch the movies and meet the filmmakers. Like networking and connecting, um, that's really the best way to get started is just to do it. And do it the first time. Don't be afraid of it being awful. Just do it and then do it again. And then keep doing it and decide what part of this do you love? What part of this do you not love? Um, depending on where you're based, there's things like the 48 hour film project um, I know in Central Florida, there's the Organization of Independent Filmmakers that has a really big Orlando chapter and they do regular filmmaking projects. Um, so yeah, I think I've spent a lot of time on that question, but hopefully that was a, a helpful answer. Um, and then, um, uh, I'm gonna save that one for last. Um, Ooh. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with this. Um, this is also from Monica, but it was really good, so I want to do both of them. Um, Monica, that's amazing. <laughs> is, and then after this, I have one about characters, which I'm excited about. All right. Is it always the story that's the first step in your filmmaking process? Could it be an image, a musical theme, a feeling, an atmosphere, something else, or a mix of many things that is the thing that inspires you to make a film? Told you it was a good question. I was like, I'm, I'm allowing two because that's a, that's a good question, right? Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, oh, I'm supposed to answer it. Oh, um, uh, in a word, wait, is it always the story? Is it, it it's not always the story that's first. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a specific instance where an image came to mind and then that kind of led to everything else. Probably we had a short film called Mark and the Martian. And I think this image of um, this man walking down a road away from something, right? It wasn't clear what they were walking away from, but then that court sort of sort of led to this end media res, which is a term we use, which is that the story begins not at the beginning, but at the, sort of at a later point and then we rewind and then we pick up from there and then it gets to that point so that the opening image and the end image kind of speak to each other the beginning and the end speak to each other so it became the story about a recluse who is a singer-songwriter who would rather not be around people if they didn't have to you know and like again just drawing from myself and then cora fleshed out the story in the characterizations and everything else 
and it be kind of kind of became more enigmatic and then this girl who's actually from mars you know so it becomes much more fantastical than that was the part for me because you know I'm an alien. what <laughs> i said that was the part the piece of me because i'm an alien right right because <laughs> we've talked about this that you came down in a shaft of light and you were like i take me to your leader and you were green um no no no, no this that's uh that's all untrue but <laughs> is it though and that's the end of part one. Please be sure to check out part two to hear the rest of the things that we talk about in the uh, in our Patreon-exclusive Ask Us Anything panel. So uh, with that, thank you so much for listening, and yeah, that's it for now. Okay. Bye! You've been listening to Filmmaking Actually with Coralinda, Space Dream Productions podcast. Subscribe to us on any or all the podcast platforms, but we especially recommend our sponsor, Anchor. If you like what you hear, leave us five-star ratings and positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps more listeners like you discover the show. But the best thing you can do if you really like the show is tell a friend. Want to leave a comment or ask a question? Email at filmmakingactually at gmail.com. This is Spacey speaking. And do you know who the most beloved director is among uh, Lumberjacks? Tim Burton. And we'll see you next time. Bye.